0: Believe in yourself, cause it starts with you, and then everyone else will believe you too. And if it looks like you're the only believer around, just keep on
1: believing, don't put yourself down, just believe.
0: Our guest this week grew up in Dearborn Heights, Michigan, and worked his way through college by opening a health and beauty aid store in downtown Detroit. He earned a bachelor of general studies degree from Wayne State University, and then a JD from the University of Detroit Mercy School of Law, and he became a judge in 1994. And since 2011, he's been a justice of the Michigan Supreme Court. His name, the Honorable Ryan Zara, and we're honored to have him as our guest. And I'm Jack Krasula, and this is Anything Is Possible on 760-WJR. I'm Jack Krasula, this is Anything Is Possible, and we're talking to the Honorable Justice Brian Zara. Since 2011, he's been one of our seven Michigan Supreme Court justices. Your Honor, welcome, a real honor to have you. Thank you, Jack, it's a pleasure to be with you today. Can we start by talking about your childhood and your mom and your dad, please?
1: Sure. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm the first generation uh, American born, born in this country. My mother and father were born in the little tiny island of Malta. And uh, they came over from Malta separately. My mother came with her father and one sister, leaving behind uh, three siblings and her mother in Malta because they simply couldn't afford to uh, bring the whole family over at one time. They came on a ship. Uh, It took over two weeks to get from Malta into New York. my mother and and grandfather arrived at Ellis Island. And uh, I I still have the uh, memories of my mother telling me about when she came in and first saw the Statue of Liberty. It was it gives me goosebumps just thinking about it. And they went from uh, New York to Detroit, where my grandfather moved in with his brother and got a job at Detroit Edison and worked at Detroit Edison until he retired. My father uh, is one of three, he had two two brothers. So he was one of three children. His mother died during World War II on the island of Malta. And uh, his oldest brother came over first and then sent uh, for my, my dad so that he could come to Detroit and find employment. And he did that and then together they sent for their youngest brother and their father. And uh, then at a a wedding of of two Maltese people in Corktown, of all places, my mom and dad met and married.
0: And the rest is history. What's the biggest thing you learned from mom, Brian? And what's the biggest thing you've learned from dad?
1: Oh, that's interesting that you divide them up that way. I will say together, the thing I learned from my parents is how wonderful this country is. They taught they, they, they raised me to respect the fact that this is a country of laws, not a country of men. In many countries, and Malta wasn't unique in this regard, it was a who you knew society and a who you knew government. So who you know will get you certain rights and privileges, or if you don't know them, you don't get those rights and privileges. So what they loved about this country was that it was a rule of, of law country that it uh, didn't matter who you knew everybody was treated the same i think from my father i got a tremendous work ethic he worked very very hard i saw him working very hard a- as a child and uh, he made me realize the harder you work the greater the opportunity you'd have he'd often tell me the harder i work the luckier i get and uh, my mother my mother was just the caring and compassionate one who uh, who gave me my softer side made me uh, more concerned about uh, about people and, and how my actions impact others around me. So you go to
0: Wayne State University, you're a student, and in 1979, while in college, you open a health and beauty aid store on Michigan Avenue in Detroit. How did that ever happen?
1: So, Jack, I, I really, um, I didn't know what I didn't know. And I really felt I didn't need a college education. I, I started out when I was 15 years old, working for a couple of entrepreneurs in downtown Detroit at a place called the uh, Colonial Merchandise Mart, and they expanded into several businesses. And I thought, well, this is pretty nice being an entrepreneur and, and being in business for yourself. So I wanted to just open up my own business, but I didn't know what it, what it really would take. I just knew hard work would would get me there. And my father really wanted me to uh, get my education. So of all the people who came over from Malta, my dad was one of the few who actually got himself a college education. And he valued that, wanted me to get that education. So he made a deal with me. If I went to night school and got my degree within six years, uh, he would loan me $25,000 to get into business. And it was, again, it was affiliated to these entrepreneurs that I had worked for and uh, myself and another student ended up opening a 750 square foot small place in what was then was originally the people's department store and then converted to the chamber of commerce building right there at 150 michigan avenue across the street from the coney island and uh it was, so it was an office building and we uh, we provided uh, health and beauty aids and and uh, did reasonably well and, and for, for actually expanded into a much larger business from there and then you also opened
0: a grocery outlet down there so what did running those couple of businesses
1: teach you about being a judge? Well, that's a great question. So first and foremost, to to treat people kindly and with respect and recognize that not everybody is having the best day. So some people come in grumpy and, uh, you know, a smile and uh, and quick service goes a long way to making uh, your uh, impression with them a favorable one. And turning their day around, but also just on the legal side, uh, you know, you had to fill out the paperwork every month to pay your taxes. You had uh, licenses that you had to get. You know, these things—if you didn't do them, you were in trouble. You had to you had to do all that 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 work and become compliant with the law. And then the third thing is, I, I you know, we would occasionally get sued. Someone would 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 fall. Sometimes they wouldn't even tell us they'd fall months later, you get some paperwork. So uh, it gave me my first exposure to the law. And one of the reasons that I, I always had law school in the back of my head uh, was those experiences where we were getting uh, uh, filed with, with suit at the, at the stores.
0: All right. Speaking of law, how was it you chose to
1: go to law school and become a lawyer? Yeah. You know, <clears throat> very interesting. I um, My mother, Always wanted a doctor or a lawyer, uh, and I didn't do well at the sight of blood. I got lightheaded, uh, so that went that was immediately eliminated from my uh, my thought of what I might want to do. I thought I wanted to go to law school. I was reasonably good in high school, uh, and I went to uh, to see my high school counselor, and we took the same you know same types of tests back in the seventies as I do today, aptitude test to find out where your strengths were. And my counselor said, you know, law is not a bad choice, but you're very strong in math and science and you should consider computer sciences. So I originally went in with that thought, but I, I didn't like it at all and it wasn't fitting for me. I wasn't excited to go to class. I wasn't excited about the notion of, of work in that area. So eventually I switched to uh, uh, to, to going for, a, for pursue a law degree
0: we're talking to the Honorable Justice Brian Zara. And Dennis Archer once told me, I quote, the profession of law is a calling. When we come back, we're going to ask the justice, what does that mean? Law is a calling. And I'm Jack Basula, and this is Anything is Possible on 760 WGR. Welcome back to Anything Is Possible. I'm your host, Jack Prisula. We're with the Honorable Justice Brian Zara. All right, the quote from Dennis Archer, the profession of law is a calling. Please.
1: Well, interestingly, Dennis was a mentor of mine. Uh, When he left the Michigan Supreme Court, he joined the Dickinson Wright Law Firm, and I was a senior associate at the time, eventually became partner and in large part because of the work uh, I did with Dennis. He was a great mentor and taught me a lot about the law. I never heard him say law is the calling, but it certainly fits into my knowledge of of Dennis and the way uh, he pursued himself. The law uh, is, first of all, if you don't have a passion for the law, if you're not interested in, in the pursuit of justice, then it's probably not right for you. You really have to have it in your heart and soul that this is something you want to do. And it is the pursuit of truth. It's the it's the uh, ability to aid people in need, to give them counsel and wisdom and help them navigate their way through their problems. So it is a calling, it is a profession. It's something where you put your own uh, needs and desires behind those of your client.
0: Dennis Archer was our mayor for eight years He became the first African-American president of the American Bar Association, and he ultimately became the chairman of Dickinson Wright, which you mentioned you worked for for five and a half years. Talk about that chapter of your life at Dickinson Wright.
1: Well, when I went to law school, Jack, I didn't know there were big firms, there were small firms. I I didn't know much about lawyers at all because there was no lawyer in my family to help mentor me along and guide me. I thought you just got your law degree and everybody went out and hung a shingle and and practiced law. Uh, So when I graduated from law school and clerked uh, in the Eastern District of Michigan for a a wonderful mentor, Larry Zadkoff, uh, I had the opportunity to see three cases Tried before Judge Zadkoff, that were tried by Dickinson Wright lawyers, and I developed a uh, a relationship with uh, Robert Young, who was a partner at the time, and eventually also on the Michigan Supreme Court, and they recruited me to the firm, and it was a wonderful firm. Uh, they they had a great respect for public service. They encouraged their lawyers to do pro bono work, and it was truly a you know a lawyer's law firm uh, where you could uh develop your skills no door was closed i could get help from anybody if, if i want if i was working hard and needed assistance there was no lawyer who would tell me no even if it wasn't their case and i learned a great deal from the lawyers at dickinson right it was really a, a fantastic experience and if it wasn't for the opportunity to to become a judge i would not have left there i, I really found it uh an amazing experience and it got even better when when dennis came on board and uh, essentially uh, Dennis and I worked on all of his cases together and it it was almost as if it was the Dennis Archer firm at Dickinson Wright. He produced so much work. Um, Are you saying you carried the man? Is that what you're saying? no, No, no. no. I had the benefit of working with Dennis everything he brought into the, everything he brought into the, to the firm, I helped work up with him.
0: All right. All right. You're 34 years old in 1994. You're a partner you're doing very well. Suzanne's mother-in-law is very happy with you. And then you become a judge. You become one of 64 Wayne County trial judges. Why?
1: Um, well, How many Jack, times
0: has your mother-in-law asked you why? <laughs> uh,
1: you know, when you're, when you're, practic- when you're practicing law, as a litigator, you get into many different courtrooms. I saw, I I had some matters in the federal court, had matters in Macomb, Wayne, Oakland counties. And I became a little bit uh, jaded at coming before judges who weren't prepared. You work hard, your clients pay you good money to write briefs and you you write these briefs. You come in prepared to argue on the brief. and, And many times it was It was evident to me that these judges simply weren't prepared or they thought the law wasn't what was passed by the legislature but whatever you know whatever they deemed to be the law whatever came out of their mouth was the law and it was frustrating to me and i really felt that i needed to make a difference if i could go to that bench and and be prepared at all times and and work hard to work with the lawyers not to be the judge that's the center of the courtroom but to be the judge that facilitates a resolution to the dispute so i did many things different that they hadn't seen in wayne county before for example i would stagger my motion calls every friday morning uh typically there's what they call the cattle call everybody's who got a motion comes to court and if you're lucky your case is called first and you can get in out in a hurry but sometimes People are paying lawyers a lot of money to sit there and wait for two or three hours until the case is heard. So one of the things I did differently was, was stagger the calls. If you had a certain kind of motion, I'd want you in at eight o'clock, nine o'clock, 10 o'clock. and I did it throughout the day and, and, and motions to dismiss I heard in the afternoon. So I'd make sure everybody was out of their cattle call cases. Um, I worked hard to be prepared. If the, If the lawyers wanted a settlement conference, I'd give them a settlement conference. If they wanted a trial, we'd give them a trial. I really it was one of the to this day, I will say it was the most rewarding judicial experience I had on a daily basis, because from the start of the day till the end of the day, you could think about anywhere from four to 40 people whose life was improved because you were there to do your job. And so you were with the Wayne County Circuit Court for
0: four years, and then you went to the Michigan Court of Appeals and you were there for 12 years. Talk about that chapter of your life.
1: Yes. Um, So I I found the trial court very rewarding, and uh, I very much enjoyed it. Um, I wasn't uh, trying to get on the Court of Appeals. It was an opportunity that came my way. It was uh, uh, something that was offered by then Governor uh, Engler. He suggested that he wanted me to serve on the Court of Appeals. And I wasn't sure that's what I wanted to do. And I'll never forget his legal counsel, uh, Lucille Taylor, calling me and telling me, you know, Brian, it's not always about what you want to do. You can't force what's going to happen in your career. Sometimes you just have to walk the path that's put in front of you. And that was the path that was put in front of me. And it gave me a very different perspective, you know, seeing appeals by right. I think with my my court of appeals experience um, um, made me a, a a good court of appeals judge, and I was able to become a much better court of appeals judge because I was able to understand better, for example, the standards of review, and what is a, what is a discretionary call of the trial judge? What is an abuse of discretion? Um, and it came at the right time in my life as well. You know, when you're a trial court judge, you're keeping shop. It's just like when I had my health and beauty aid store. People expected me there at 8.30, and I would stay until 4.30 or 5.00, and uh, you were there. And even if you didn't have anything on the docket, you never knew when a case was gonna get filed that had an emergency, you know, you're a shopkeeper. At the court of appeals, you had to be in a courtroom two or three days a month. The rest of the time you're reading and writing and preparing for your next call. And it came at the right time in my life because uh, my children were born shortly after I got on the court of appeals and that allowed me flex time, so to speak, where I could have a greater role in bringing them up.
0: We're talking to the Honorable Justice Brian zar When we come back, we're gonna ask him, what do all great judges have in common? And I'm Jack Krusula, and this is Anything Is Possible on News Talk 760 WJR. This is Anything is Possible. I'm your host, Jack Krasula, and we're with the Honorable Justice Brian Zara. And from 1999 to 2011, he served on the Michigan Court of Appeals. Your Honor, what do all great judges have in common?
1: Well, I would say let's start with a passion for the law. If you don't have a passion for the law, you cannot be the best you could possibly be. If you don't have a passion for what you do, you can't be the best you possibly can be and then you have to have an intellect that's developed through this passion. In other words, you have to be smart enough to know where to look, but then you have to keep digging and looking for the for the right answer what the law provides. And in this way you're able to understand what the law is and apply it properly. But I would say the third thing and and probably as important as a passion and an intellect to find the law is understanding that you have to give people a full and fair opportunity to be heard. Even if you know the answer, people won't feel they had a fair shot unless you let them file their briefs, you give them oral argument, give them the opportunity to speak about what they think is important. Uh, Perhaps you can let them know where you're at, but then when you write an opinion to give your reasons as to why you've ruled this way and why you might've rejected a party's position and in this way hopefully hopefully when people don't win their case of course they're going to be disappointed but at the end of the day you want them to at least say while i disagree with the judge i do feel i had a fair opportunity to be heard and that's the that's the linchpin of what makes our system work right we don't go and we don't go and battle in the streets because we have a court system that people believe and trust in and, and as long as they feel they've had a fair shot, we will resolve our disputes amicably.
0: All right. At breakfast a couple of weeks ago, very amicably, you know, we listened to George at that Senate, Coney Island. Great man. But I quote you now. You said, Jack, there are two types of justices. One Judges. Judges. Three there are two judges, types judges. of judges. One, it's a verb. And two, it's a noun. What's the difference?
1: So getting back to the the great judges you were talking about, um, I think, I believe, I know that the best judges are judges that view their function as a verb, the act of judging. It is about resolving disputes amicably through the law. It's your function of judging that is important. It's not the noun, being the judge. There are some judges I've encountered, and the most important part is that everybody stands up when they come in the courtroom. Their robe is important to them. It's about them being the center of the resolution process. I don't. I'm not. I'm not like that, and I don't believe those are the best judges. The best judges are the ones who understand that they're they've got a role in the system, and that role is to the act of judging and and going through the process and making sure. Everybody has a full and fair opportunity to be heard, and that you facilitate the dispute as opposed to be the center of the dispute.
0: All right, let's talk about a couple of great judges. In 19, 2019, at age 96, we lost the legendary Judge Damon Keith. What made him so special?
1: Well, uh, Judge, Judge Keith was a pioneer, and he brought a tremendous amount of uh, life experience to the bench uh, that was invaluable to him. Uh, but if I had to pick out one attribute of Judge Keith uh, that I greatly admire, it was his ability to give people a full and fair opportunity to be heard, no matter. I, I, I don't. I can't think of a uh, of a litigant. At the end of the day, they might have disagreed with him, but none of them ever said he cut me off. He didn't give me my opportunity to be heard. Uh, he was uh, someone who understood the process and um, and gave, you know, gave every consideration to to each litigant's point of view, and then gave his reasons for for uh, ruling the way he did. All right,
0: there was Justice Mora Corrigan. Who was Michigan Supreme Court from 1998 to 2010? For three years, she was the chief justice, and then she was made the director of Michigan Department of Human Services in 2011. And that's how you were named. Talk about your predecessor, Justice Maura Corrigan.
1: Um, Maura is one of the um, one of the people I, I hold very dearly. Uh, and she was very influential in my career in two ways. One, I learned a lot from her on the process of learning the law, uh, the process of how you interpret statutes, how you look at the constitution. She, was, she, she is someone who's very, very um, dedicated to uh, methods of interpretation she's one that believes equal justice justice is achieved equal justice under law that's how justice is achieved treating everybody equally not differently on the basis of their of the facts of their case but what is the law and then equally apply that law to all and more uh, and and more special to me because when she moved to the uh michigan supreme court that created a vacancy on the court of appeals that I filled, and it, she gave me my, and that way I got my opportunity on the court of appeals, and then when she went on to uh, Governor Snyder's uh, cabinet, uh, that created a vacancy on the supreme court that I filled. So, more special to me in two ways: what I learned from her in how you interpret uh, statutes and the constitution, and as she moved on, I had the uh, the opportunity. Uh, it oftentimes the intimidating opportunity of filling her shoes because she was so good at what she did in both courts. All right. One more. You served for a while
0: with the Honorable Justice Curtis Wilder. Please.
1: Curtis is one of my my dear, dear friends, and I miss him off of the court quite a bit. Um, Curtis and I have parallel careers. We started on the trial court together. Then we were we were put on the court of appeals on the very same day. And together, with uh, Judge Jeffrey Collins, the three of us had a joint investiture, all three of us taking the oath at the same time. Um, and we did it out of, the, out of, out of Wayne County, um, at that time, 2nd Ebenezer Baptist Church on, on Grand Boulevard. Um, and then uh, I was so happy when he got appointed to the Michigan Supreme Court. Uh, Kurt was a, a soulmate of mine, so to speak. We, we had offices down the hall from each other in the Court of Appeals. If he had a problem uh, with a case that he was struggling with, you come and talk to me, vice versa. Uh, We we shared and talked about our families uh, together. He is a a very dear friend and uh, we share many life experiences together. And uh, I I was happy when he was appointed to the Supreme Court. I was sad when he did not get retained in his election, Uh, but uh, that's the game. That's the, that's the business we've chosen, to quote from Godfather number two. When someone loses an election, you can't complain because this is the business we've chosen, and you have to defer to the will of the people.
0: We're talking to the Honorable Justice Brian Zara, and I'm Jack Grisula, and This is Anything is Possible on 760 WJR. Jack Krizula, host of WJR's Anything is Possible, the weekly radio visit, brings his 15 years of inspirational storytelling to hardcover. With God, Anything is possible. possible. 15 of Jack's more than 750 tales of defeating odds and achieving the extraordinary. Like Bob Woodruff, whose job covering the war in Iraq nearly cost him his life. And Nick Vujicic, the limbless evangelist who has stunned millions with his message of acceptance and grace. With God, anything is possible. Order now while signed copies are still available at trustinusllc.square.site. That's trustinusllc.square.site. And as Jack says... Make it a great week because with God, anything is possible. Spohol.
1: Anything.
0: I'm Jack Cressula, this is Anything Is Possible, and we're talking to the Honorable Justice Brian Zara. And since 2011, he's been one of our seven justices of the Michigan Supreme Court. Your Honor, you characterize yourself as a rule of law judge advocating judicial
1: restraint. Please. So when I say rule of law, What I'm referring to is great respect and judicial restraint together. They signify great respect for the separation of powers between the three branches of government. The legislature makes the law, the executive branch enforces the law, but the the role of the judiciary is to interpret the law and to apply it in that way. And I am a firm believer that the people are represented by the legislature and the legislature can can do things that perhaps are deemed unwise with the passage of time. It's not for judges to fix those things that were enacted by the legislature. It's for the people to decide whether they believe in their legislative representatives or not. If they don't like what they've done, they vote them out of office. I mean, we, we see uh, in Michigan, a great uh, number of, uh, of ballot proposals every election. That's the exercise of direct democracy. That's where people go and they express what they believe our, our law should be. Whether it be enactment of a legislative uh, bill, medical marijuana is an example of that. They put that on the ballot and passed it or amend our constitution. Uh, the people are the government. It's a government by the people and for the people. And when judges fill in the gaps or they do what they think the legislature meant to do but they didn't do, in my view they're usur- they're us- usurping uh the power of the people because judges aren't elected to do that this is even more true in the federal system where judges are appointed for life no one elected them so when they make legislation from the bench they're uh, they're acting inconsistent with with the separation of powers and the principles of the constitution as provided by our founders
0: all right if you want to learn more www.courts.org michigan.gov speaking of our constitution there are 27 amendments which one
1: is your favorite my favorite amendment from the bill of rights is the first amendment for two reasons one it guarantees free speech and freedom of the press Uh, two it guarantees religious liberty. It ensures that there will not be an established church, but it also ensures that every person has the right to practice their religion as they see fit. Together, these two rights, I think, and it's so it's so hard to say, well, you know, this right's more important than others. I don't I don't frame it that way. But these two rights are at the cornerstone of our uh, of our constitutional uh, foundation. Right, the right to free speech, the right to get up and. And and speak your mind to criticize politicians. We take that for granted, but in so many countries that is not something that's permissible. You'll find yourself in jail if you say the things, that, uh, the wrong things, or something the government doesn't like. And the the same is true of religious freedom. In some countries, merely practicing religion is enough to get you incarcerated. So these two, these two uh, in the First Amendment, these two rights that come from our Bill of Rights are two that I hold dear, and it's by far my favorite amendment. Of the, uh, of the Bill of Rights.
0: We're talking to the Honorable Justice Brian Zara, and since 2011, he's been one of seven justices of the Michigan Supreme Court. They're elected to eight-year terms. Tell us about the Michigan Supreme Court.
1: Well, okay, Jack, that's a pretty open question. What do you mean, tell us about the Michigan Supreme Court? Give me some more. What would you like to know? When you're not in session, and you guys are
0: debating or whatever, you know, in conference, what goes on behind closed doors? How do you disagree? Uh, we disagree respectfully,
1: uh, I'm happy to say. Um, the cases that come to the Michigan Supreme Court are not easy. At the trial court, whoever files a suit files a suit, and I'm going I'm, I'm pleased to say that ninety percent of the cases are reasonably easy to discern, reasonably easy to get to a to an answer. 10% of those cases are tougher. Trial judges still have to make a decision, and they make a decision not necessarily because they're confident it's correct. They make a decision because it's their job to make a decision and move it on to the Court of Appeals. Once you get to the Court of Appeals, you know, have roughly 8,000 cases a year in the Court of Appeals. Um, most of them, again, are, are, are reasonably easy to, to decide under the law. Um, you know, criminal, criminal convictions, there's an appeal by right. And so you, a good number of those are, are, are appeals because people have the right to to have their convictions reviewed. But they don't always present uh, significant uh, questions or, or close questions under the law. Um, and in the civil arena, people go to the court of appeals because they have the right to do so. Uh, it doesn't always mean that it's an important question. Of the 8,000 cases that go to the, to the uh, Michigan Court of Appeals, roughly 2,200 of them have applications filed in our in our court in the Michigan Supreme Court, and when he gets to the Michigan Supreme Court, we are not there to error correct. Really, people get disturbed when I tell them this. We don't fix errors. I could be con- I could be convinced that, that the case was wrongly decided by the Court of Appeals. But that doesn't mean we're going to take that case. We only take the cases that are most important to the jurisprudence of the state of Michigan. So if the case where there's an error is not likely to arise again, it's not it doesn't merit the time of the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court's trying to decide the cases that are going to have the greatest impact on the entire state. So when you get to the Michigan Supreme Court and you have one of those cases that's significant, that's going to impact the whole state, those cases are rarely ever clear. They're not clean cut. And it takes a tremendous amount of thought and time to get there. And no matter how you come down, there's always going to be a reasonable view in the other direction. And so when we debate these cases, we do we do so respectfully. And I will say I've, I've heard a lot of uh, cynical people who believe, you know, oh when you get to the Supreme Court, I know the way liberals are going to decide. I know the way conservatives are going to decide. I know the Democrats are going to go this way. The Republicans are going to go that way. Well, sometimes the philosophy that's consistent with a judge will give you a good idea how it's gonna turn out, but no one besides, not one of all the people I've served with, I, I, I'm now the most senior member of the court, so there've been at least, uh, last count I think I've served with with eight or nine other members of our Supreme Court. Not one of the persons I've ever served with would I say uh, reached a result on a political ground or uh, on an outcome determinative grounds. They truly believe in their heart of hearts that this is what the law requires. So it's a diligent search for the law, And when we disagree, we must disagree respectfully because these cases are never easy. And of course, there's more than one way to look at them. And in this way, we're able to keep a professional environment, a collegial environment, and uh, do the most and the best for the people of the state of Michigan.
0: For 28 years, you have served the people of Michigan. As a judge, what's the biggest thing that has taught you,
1: Justice? Well, humility. <laughs> humility. Um, again, I'm the verb, and I want myself every day to remind myself I'm the verb. I'm not the noun. Oftentimes, I, I I will routinely tell people, please don't call me Justice. Call me Brian. If we're not in the courtroom, call me Brian. That's two reasons I do that. One, uh, it keeps me grounded. It keeps me grounded. It reminds me all the time uh, that I that I am the verb, and and not the noun. And and two, really, when we're not in the courtroom, it has no place. So, um, you know, I, I do uh, stand on formality when you're in the courtroom. You know, part of what makes people respect the rule of the law and the decisions of the court is the uh, formality and the tradition that comes with it. The robe, the titles, people standing as the judges enter the room. That's required when we make, when we do our job. But outside of that, justice is my job. It's not my name.
0: Um, what I know about you and having met you and been around you, your humility is unbelievable. It it just fills the area. So I thank you for that. I thank you for 28 years of service and please keep up the great, great work.
1: Jack, it's been a pleasure talking with you and you keep up the great work of bringing diverse views of people uh, to the state of Michigan through your radio show and letting people know that anything is possible. Thanks so much, Jack. Thank
0: you. Please join us next Saturday. Until then, I'm Jack Prasula. Thanks for listening and make it a great week because with God, anything
1: is possible.